Thank you for joining us as we elevate the Black entrepreneur experience by interviewing CEOs, thought leaders, innovative thinkers, and Black entrepreneurs across the globe. I'm your host, Dr. Francis Richards. Our next guest is kicking heart disease and balls for kids as franchise owner of Mighty Kicks. Welcome, Louis Stevens III. How are you guys? How are you guys? Thank you for having me. Why don't you share with our audience what you'd like them to know about you and your businesses? So I'm the uh, franchise owner of Mighty Kicks West Michigan, and I'm also the president of the Hearts to Homes Foundation. Um, Mighty Kicks is uh, a soccer enrichment program that focuses on uh, developing kids at the young age of three to 12. And we focus on um, character building, motor skill functions. And we also, you know, with the pandemic changing so many things in our lives, we focus a lot on mental health. Um, A lot of kids have been in isolation. A lot of kids have um, delayed their schooling and they don't understand bigger groups, uh, mid-sized groups. So we focus a lot on helping kids develop the uh, basics of uh, character building, um, as well as smaller groups, as well as um, understanding the dynamic of motor skill functions. So unfortunately, a lot of parents uh, that um, have maybe played the sport of soccer um, have a lot of um, ideas about what their child should be as a soccer player. But when I talk to parents um, that have uh, com- you know, com- uh, done our programs, I focus a lot on the motor skill functions and I tell them, I go, we want to build character first. We want them to be acclimated and understand bigger mid-sized groups. And we want them to uh, have a little bit of competitiveness as well. So we focus on that and we want that to be the sole uh, focus of our um, <clears throat> of our program because I think a lot of these kids don't understand the development of what um, the pandemic has done. And it's also um, delayed some of the motor skill functions of a lot of these kids. So that's kind of where we, we start off at. And um, through the pandemic, uh, my wife and I, Alexandra, Stevens, we went through um, some hardships through our uh, oldest child, um, who was, her name is Penelope Ray, and in the 2016, um, March 2016, we encountered uh, our oldest daughter who had transposition of the great arteries, and at four days old, she had open heart surgery, and my wife has a knack for and a drive and a love and a passion for interior design. And she's a packaging engineer at Michigan State. And she is now a stay-at-home mom. And the one thing that I challenged her with when she eventually went to being that full-time stay-at-home mom in 2018 was... I want you to have the time to be able to find your passion. And so for me, um, I'm a passion-driven individual. So I wanted her as being a mother, which is a full-time job, and it's not something to write off as a vacation experience, but um, for her to enjoy the time with her kids, um, but also find things that she loves to do. And from a young age, she was very, very drawn to um, interior design. And it's through her mother and her grandmother, and it goes, you know, years, decades back. But during the pandemic, we've had, as a number of individuals um, have probably experienced, a lot of time to really soul search and find, you know, who they are as, a, as an individual or as partners um, or, you know, things that you want to encounter in your life that you're like, 
why am I doing this? You know, if it's your job or, you know, if it's relationships that you just need to give up because they're just taking so much of your time. So your wife and I really, you know, we were at Borders Books and, you know, that's something that <clears throat> my wife don't get much, you know, time um, individually with having three kids. So we just went and, you know, had some time to really, you know, talk about what it is that we want to focus on. And, you know, we started to brainstorm and talk about, you know, we really need to get things off the ground when it comes to my wife's passions and, and her businesses. So she started a, a for-profit organization and it was, uh, it's called Stevens Interiors. And she was just having trouble of gaining ground and, and finding customers that were intrigued um, about trying to fix up their homes. So through our, you know, brainstorms and whatnot and our, you know, um, borders endeavors and our, our date night, we were talking about like, what if we started kind of like a, kind of like a, a program or something that we can like a blast or something that we can get people really, uh, some, a lot of people behind. And so it started, uh, it started on like a, a push start this push start originally started on like something that we can just do on the side but then it evolved into starting a 501c3 and so i've had some experience with starting 501c3s in my past and um i said well why don't we start a 501c3 and we can do it as a separate entity um and we can parlay that with programs that Stevens Interior can 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 help out be a, a construction manager on, and so we started Hearts to Homes, and it evolved because, like I stated earlier, our um, oldest daughter had transposition of the great artery at four four. Oh, it was actually um, thirty six weeks, um, so we were really late in the game. A lot of things really weren't brought to our attention, and it was the intuitiveness of my uh, wife who said. You know, the measurements are small. I just feel like we need to focus on what's really behind that. So we had, you know, a specialist come in and, and test. And um, sure enough, late, late in the game, things were uh, confirmed that we had transmission of the great artery. Now, in the meantime, we were already going through finding, you know, as, um, you know, new homeowners for the first time, we were looking for homes. And we were going through the process and um, we didn't think anything of obviously our, we had a natural, um, we were having a natural process as far as our first child. And then once we got the news at 36 weeks, we were just kind of taken aback and we were just like, wow, we need to reassess. And I just remember, um, you know, the wife was very distraught, you know, hearing the news and we had a bunch of unknowns that we were very uncertain about. And so we, <clears throat> you know, we, we, we went to prayer and we, we started to pray and we said, Hey, if it's, you know, God's will that we find a house through these trying times, it's his will that we find something. And so sure enough, fast forward, like two, three weeks, um, our realtor was like, Hey, there is one of my good friends. She has a, seller that heard about your story and she wants you guys to bypass all these you know negotiation stages and she wants to bless you guys with this home obviously at market value and we were just you know we were kind of shocked that we've been through some, you know some heartache in the in the real estate uh, world and so we went and looked at the house and we were just in love with it and you know, we did the inspections and stuff and everything was so flawless. And so the Hearts to Homes Foundation, the, the mindset behind it is it's a uh, variation or a mixture between something like a uh, extreme makeover and a make-a-wish. So we want to bless families and, and children that have gone through um, hardships specifically towards um, congenital heart defects. Um, and we want to help 
change and put a smile on kids and families' faces that are going through trials and tribulations uh, relating to the, you know, transposition of the great arteries. So we want to help out families that are going through those hardships and we want to affect and, and, and affect change in their lives, even if it's a smile, a smile based on a renovation um, or if it's a ramp because they can't, uh, they're not as access, uh, as, as mobile as they were, or if it's a room that has oxygen tanks or it's a room that their favorite athlete um, or, or um, you know, artist, you know, or whatever that may be, whatever their, their likes are, we want to kind of uh, be that vessel to help them and help the family through uh, trying times because we went through those times and we want that experience to be different um, than we had. So that's kind of what uh, the Hearts to Homes is as a, in, in its entirety. And we want to thank our listeners. And if anyone has a question, just let us know and we will bring you to the stage to ask your question. Um, we want to thank Lewis Stevens, the soccer enthusiast, and um, actually the president of Hearts to Home Foundation of 5013C. Something you talked about, um, you talked about the development of the motor skills, mental health, character building on your franchise where you have the mighty kicks. This is Mental Health Awareness Month. Talk about mental health and your program in young children. How important is mental health? So, um, like I said, I, I mean, <clears throat> obviously there's studies that, that show um, mental health is a very, very um, real thing. And I think what the pandemic has been able to do for a number of individuals, including families, is it has helped them identify um, things that may have been overlooked in the past. And I think mental health is something that we overlook. Um, but as an African-American, I believe that um, mental health in our community is something that isn't talked about enough. And I believe that being able to be real with oneself, obviously at a young age, you aren't able to maybe... Um, assess those types of um, hardships in your own life. But that's why I feel parents need to be one with oneself and be open to have those conversations with their kids and really tap into things that um, that may be bothering them. And I think for us as, uh, as a community, um, as a community, as African-Americans, we need to be able to, to be open and have that dialogue because you don't want it to come down, down to a situation where it's too late and you're having those what-if conversations with yourself um, about, I wish we would have talked about it uh, more. And um, having, you know, kids, it, it, it's just, you know, it's, it's just another thing that I have to worry about in, in the life of, of a parent that I don't want my kids to ever say, well, dad, and never wanted to talk about my problems or things that I, I brought to your attention. So Mighty Kicks does a great job of kind of having those conversations of co uh, confidence building. So we're not obviously having these direct conversations uh, in regards to, you know, mental health is so important because, again, when we're dealing with kids in, in, in the Mighty Kicks world, we're dealing with kids between the ages of three and 12. So it's before you get to high school. And I think high school, those issues that were probably um, starting to form at an age between five and eight um, study show, <clears throat> those issues are exacerbated in the high school round because you're dealing with so many hormonal um, teenagers and whatnot that don't know or understand what they're feeling. So at the Mighty Kicks level, at three, five, eight, seven, at those ages, we're able to really focus on confidence building. So it's public speaking. You know, what's your name? 
Tell us what team you play for. Tell us what positives that you had from your game this past weekend. Tell me some things that you can work on. Having the confidence to speak in front of people starts kind of the uh, the 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 mental uh, fortitude as far as creating individuals that can really um, be strong mentally at a young age. Um, it's it's great to have positive reinforcement, and I think that that we do that. But there's also a tear down, build up build confidence, you know, because again, a lot of these kids encounter negativity and then they shut down, but the negativity isn't to, um, tear them down. It's to build their, uh, it's it's actually to build character because it helps them understand why they did something wrong. You know, the tear down is like, Hey, I'm not bringing attention to your bad touches or your, um, you know, the, the, the losses, like we don't care about losses and wins. Our focus is on individual skill sets. Our focus is on individual, um, the, the individual's ability to assess a situation. And so Mighty Kicks focuses a lot on the individuals rather than a bigger team. It's more focused on the individuals and character building and understanding why something was done or something was brought to the attention of them or the the team and they can assess it accordingly and then correct it. That's the focus, to correct what you're doing wrong, gain confidence when you see success and then build on that success to continue to get better and better themselves. Speaking of wins, take a snapshot of the last 30 days and what was your biggest win? You know, great question. Um, through the throes of it all in life, I think that we all um, we all love positive reinforcements. We all love, um, you know, uh, words of affirmation. And me as an individual, I am a words of affirmation uh, type guy. And what I do for the most part I'm a behind the scenes guy. So I don't need to be seen. But when you are seen slash heard, for me as an individual, it, it, it resonates a little bit differently. And then it only motivates me. So I, you know, being in a world of sales, you know, for being an entrepreneur and, you know, promoting my business, hearing parents, um, I had a couple parents reach out to me um, over the last uh, three weeks, three to four weeks. And they, you know, make these, you know, these, uh, to me, they're just subtle, subtle notes, but they ring so true to who I am. And when the, the parents reach out and say, Hey, coach Lewis, I just want to say thank you so much for what you're doing. Um, our son or daughter, loves your program. They come home, they talk about it. I pride myself on my skill set of communicating to individuals. Um, With my sociology degree from Michigan State, um, I love large groups. I love large, you know, large, small groups. I love to interact with people. And so for me, it's a situation where when you have a parent that is conveying the happiness of a child who <clears throat> they probably get excited over slushies or McDonald's fries, like I did when I was three to five years old. And to hear them talk about the coaching, the fun that they're having um, through the Mighty Kicks program, it those are the subtle remarks, emails, uh, communications that keep me doing what I'm doing and keeps me motivated to help the next generation. Because I feel as a parent now, um, as someone who's uh, an elder statesman, it is our duty to affect change on the future, on the, on the, on the young, on the adolescent, on the youth. And so it is my duty to impart my wisdom my teachings and and my spirit. You know, I feel like I'm a very jovial 
um, exciting person. So I want to affect that type of uh, mindset on these young kids because I want to be impressionable as possible. So that's where it, it, it comes from. And in seeing those emails that come in, that's what keeps me doing what I'm doing. Um, again, we want to thank our listeners. If they have a um, question for Coach Lewis or Dr. Francis, don't hesitate to jump right in. So, Coach Lewis, tell us, I want you to fill in the blank here. Thank you, pandemic, because. You have allowed me the opportunity to understand my self-worth. So, again, I can elaborate with that. Again, I think, you know, Self-worth is something that is a perspective that is gained over time and through experience. And I think the pandemic has allowed me to understand my self-worth, understand the value of life. And if I don't enjoy something, I think a lot of us have understood, like, if it's not enjoyable, I don't want to do it. And so for me, um, it was a situation where being in the world of, my previous life, I was a, a, an industrial salesman for flooring for eight years. And um, I, was, um, I was given the perspective, and it, and it, didn't, it wasn't an immediate change. So I'm not going to um, say that it was once the pandemic was over, I felt this way. But it was a calculated effort to get myself out of a situation that did not make me happy. And so I think the pandemic made it, a, made it a point to say, if you're in this, make sure that you want this. It's not for anyone else. There's no, there's no time. No one's pressuring you. Everything is virtual. Um, employers were at the mercy of the government. So if there was a situation where you weren't happy, the government was going to give you aid. Um, there, was a, there was a number of avenues to, to get out when you had the chance. And the amount of jobs that are available are alarming, but the amount of credible jobs that people want or value are limited. And that's where the pandemic delayed my boisterous attitude to walk away. I had to understand what the pandemic meant in its entirety as far as the hiring process, uh, you know, vaccinations or, you know, payments, you know, things were, uh, there was a lot of unknowns. And so the pandemic allowed me the chance to have the courage to say, you know what? It's okay to walk away and it's okay to feel confident in your reasons to walk away. What is your zone of genius? Well, I appreciate your calling me a genius, but I think my, the method to my madness is um, how I was wired at a young age, and um, it's it probably goes back a little bit deeper um, than I can remember, <clears throat> based on the examples of Mighty Kicks and understanding, you know, uh, in hindsight. But I think my method is solely based on how I'm wired. So I'm one of those individuals that <clears throat> I like to prove naysayers wrong. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's something about me that has always been, you know, in the forefront of my mind. You know, if people tell me I can't do something as an only child, I don't necessarily want to be, um, I don't want to go rogue and just do it because in spite of, but if what my passions are, based on my aligned mindset and values, core values, then I know for a fact that 
I'm confident in my abilities to go off on the unbeaten path and continue to do things that are unique um, because, you know, I hear a number of different individuals and in the same field and how their stories and their, um, their situations and, and experiences, they're all different, especially, especially being in the world of sports. You can't um, depict from a crowd of people that everyone's experience was the same. Everyone's going to go through different hardships. Everyone's going to go through different um, experiences uh, that have molded them in a negative and or positive way. And it only pushes you or some people, um, and I can speak on me specifically, it pushes me to continue to go for things that may not seem possible. You know, I mean, there, there's people that are always going to be uh, pessimistic. You know, they're going to be a naysayer. They're going to be someone who's going to keep you, you know, and some people use it as staying grounded. But being an only child, uh, being someone who was fortunate to be a Division One athlete um, at a Division One institute, go green, you know, being at Michigan State, Pushing and and going towards a goal is okay, you know, and the outcomes in uh, of your goals or your passions are kind of how you hang your hat. So if you wanted to be a professional athlete, you know, in whatever endeavor that might be, and you fell short and you were only a collegiate athlete, take that as a positive, because if you only wanted to push to be a you know a, a high school athlete and you capped out at middle school or you didn't care, like set the bar high. Again, it goes back to the mental, the mental side of things, right? Set that bar high so that if you don't obtain that goal, assess where you're at in life and then go from there and then say to yourself, okay, let me recalibrate. Let me reassess what I'm thinking and then let me go and then set a new goal for myself, you know, just because you don't reach that goal in that first, you know, uh, that first go at it, that doesn't mean you shut it down. That means you reassess, see the positives, see the negatives, and then go from there and push yourself to reach that next goal. And then reassess once you've hit your, your, your max or your peak and you've, you know, kind of burned out in that regard okay, maybe I need to reassess. Maybe this isn't for me. What are my passions? And for me, I'm able to really look myself in the mirror, be honest with yourself. I'm honest with myself and saying, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I need to go in a different route. And go at it, do your homework, assess, reassess, and then set forth a goal and put a timeline on it. Because sometimes I think we put um, we put these things in place and there's no expiration date. And then that's how we become complacent. But put yourself, in, don't be afraid to put an expiration date on it. It's not the end of the world. It's just saying to yourself, okay, I want to be honest in my evaluation. I can only evaluate it. A lot of things that I go on throughout life, right? A pandemic. What problem exists in the world today that you would like to solve? That's a great question. Uh, I, I thought I heard that earlier, but I wanted to confirm that that was the question. So <clears throat> I think um, very, very loaded question. I think the, I can only speak on myself, the world's problem that I would love to solve would be inequality. And, and what I mean by that is it's a situation where <clears throat> it's a, it's a, it's, it's good and it's vague enough because it goes on to, um, 
you know, the world's problems, right? So like a Ukraine-Russia type um, comparison. Uh, it goes to, you know, white and black comparison. It goes to, you know, it, it dates back, you know, hundreds, uh, hundreds of years. And so um, I think for uh, the inequality, uh, if it be male to females, um, if it's, you know, um, the social uh, economic gap, you know, the inequalities uh, in our world, there's so many things that define an individual that a, a, a religion, uh, a political stance, or a ethnic background, there's so many things um, outside of those that can really set you apart from an individual. And, you know, if it be you have a private school background and everyone within that private school are there from different backgrounds, if that be political, if it's ethnic, uh, if it's, you know, religious, I think that those backgrounds uh, define who you are as a person. Um, it doesn't give people the credence to judge, but I also think it gives you um, authenticity. And I think that that's where um, having a, a background in, you know, if it might be, you know, uh, let's just say artistry, you know, if you are an artist and your family does, you know, you're an artist, but you guys are from a foreign company, let's just say Italy and where you come from. And they might state that, you know, Italians or, or, are a certain way and they have been, you know, disseminated to a certain group. They can only be, uh, deemed as, a certain group to whatever area they're living in, it's very, very tough to say, you know, based just because on their background, you know, their family loves, you know, their, their family, a family of artists, you know, they're Italian and they're in a certain social economic group that they can only uh, be so, you know, they can only succeed in some, in some way. Uh, let's do, you know, someone from Sudan, you know, someone from Sudan who have parents that are, you know, their, their child is a third generation type player or, 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 or student. And they don't have the financial game to play soccer. Maybe their country's passion. They don't have the funds to be able to afford a high level club team, but they now have to subject their child to uh, experiences that aren't at the level of a random individual or a local, you know, kid who whose parents are affluent at, you know, for whatever reasons. So the inequalities in America and around the world really, <clears throat> I think, shortchanges a lot of people understanding the greatness, the greatness of individuals. Talk about sports and specifically soccer. Why would a parent want to invest in putting their kids in soccer? Well, soccer is a vastly growing sport in America. Now, it's a beautiful game uh, worldwide. I think a number of individuals would uh, would relate um, outside of America being uh, one of the world's greatest games. But specifically speaking in America, I think that this game is evolving. Uh, the talent level is... I mean, from when I played starting, you know, at the at the sweet age of five years old, 
I just feel like the game has grown immensely. And I think that playing soccer, it it's a different dynamic because when you talk about a sport that involves 10 other players just on your team, it exacerbates the level of communication that you need to have with people that come from all different areas. And that's one thing I, I love about soccer is it's, um, it's a culturally based game and there's so many different people from so many different backgrounds that you have to communicate with. And the communication comes in all different shapes and forms. So the communication can be more visual. Communications can be more on a, a hand signal basis. Um, and they can also be based on verbal, obviously, commands. But it's just a game that uh, challenges you as an individual to communicate at the umph degree because there's so many moving parts, like tennis, golf. <clears throat> Those are individual sports. Now compare a sport like a volleyball or a basketball. Those are sports that there's five people that you have to communicate with. And there's less interaction and cohesiveness that needs to happen because it's a smaller court. Um, it's a smaller uh, field of play. And there's a smaller number of individuals that are also a part of this game. And that's where people always say about football, not this is North American football. So football as in the Patriots, the Buccaneers, you know, the Packers, whatever that might be, they're they always talk about how there's twenty two players because there's eleven on offense and there's eleven on defense. And that's why it's so hard to repeat as champions at that sport because there's so many variables that come into play. Whereas soccer, it adds, yes, half of those variables being 11 v 11, but they play offense and defense. So you now have individuals that are on a string. It's almost like a quartet. It's like you want the group to be aligned and you have to be moving in one direction because if the offense is going one way and the defense is going the other, that's where you have your gaps and your letdowns in the sport. And that's why it's a very unique sport. Uh, it's similar to hockey and lacrosse, but again, it goes back to the number of players involved. You've talked about juggling all of these different things, fatherhood, um, marriage, entrepreneurship, you have a philanthropist, your wife has a business. Talk about marriage, fatherhood, and being an entrepreneur. Well, I think it's important um, that every individual um, has core values. And <clears throat> <clears throat> there's a number of people that, you know, I've played sports with or, you know, have networked with and they're at different stages of their life. Um, if that includes marriage, uh, dating, uh, school, parenting, uh, broken homes. I think that you as an individual need to understand the uh, your moral compass drives you to be who you are as a person. And I think for me, uh, knowing that I have an amazing family, um, an amazing wife who, as I mentioned earlier, she's a stay-at-home mother. She's on, on the ball. She's, the house is immaculate. Um, not just cleanliness, but it's also, it just looks like a place that, you know, you go to for vacation. You know, everything is just at the, the umph degree. And so 
to see the work that she puts in and to see the work that I put in, but to see the flexibility in my schedule, um, I need to make sure that my wife and my kids know that I'm still prevalent in their lives. And I need to also assess, you know, being self-aware, I need to assess that they're happy. And it hasn't come to fruition yet. And I know my kids are young. I have kids that are six, four, and two. Um, It hasn't come up as an issue yet. But as soon as you start to see the change in the uh, way they treat you, uh, the way that they act, those are the red flags that go off in my brain being a, you know, a very intellect dissecting things and situations. I always look at it like, okay, there are some flags. Let's make sure that we nip those things in the bud. And if there's issues that may come up, let's be open to talk about them. And so, excuse me. And so, That as a parent is my ultimate goal. I want my kids to have the confidence that I've had to be able to go through their own, not just mine, but go through their own hardships, trials and tribulations, because those are the things that mold you into the individual that you will become. And so I do the same thing in every relationship. I can't compare the mother um, <clears throat> and son relationship to a wife and husband. Those are individual relationships that have to procreate. They have to evolve. They have to um, create new memories. I can't do that based on an overcompassing relationship. It's not just going to be like, well, I'm married and this is my mother and that's my father and everything's supposed to be unique and, and, and aligned. No, you have to work on each individual relationship. And I was an only child. There's two things in my mind. I always said I didn't want. Now, again, things happen, but one was to come from a broken home and have my kids experience that. And two was to have more than an only child. And we were blessed enough to have, again, three kids. Um, and me and my, you know, wife are happily married and we love each other. And, you know, there's there's hardships, but that's where the communication comes in. That's where that uh, individual relationship and comfortability uh, occurs when you're able to have those tough conversations. And so it's the same with our kids. Uh, when you see the way that the kids may treat mom, you know, hey, um, mom, do this for me. It's like, I have to sit back and I have to bite my tongue because, you know, that's their relationship. But when, when there comes a point when there's disrespect, there's a, um, a flagrant um, issue that may come up that I have to step in. If it's, you know, my littlest, you know, my smallest, you know, my son is, trying to swing at his sister or mom because he doesn't want to do something, that's when I have to step in. And the relationship isn't, um, oh, this is just dad. It's a one-on-one relationship. Just because he's two years old doesn't mean he can't have moments of, of teaching that are positive and reconstructive and we can build on it. I don't believe in, well, he's only two and he should be able to get away. No. We can have conversations because if they understand bottle or are you hungry um, or do you want some candy? Because my kids have a sweet tooth, unlike their dad who has one as well. Um, But if they have a, you know, a a, a yearning and desire for something, they acknowledge it. So that means they understand when you're telling them not to do something. So that's where the communication piece becomes very important in every relationship. And that's where. Um, I start my values and core beliefs with my own family is making sure that we communicate uh, to the umph degree. The topic is Coach Lewis. 
how did you become Coach Lewis? Um, I think, again, as I stated earlier, I think everyone kind of evolves and um, comes into their own in, in different ways. But um, becoming Coach Lewis, uh, I think you can't make – you know, there's no assembly line that you can make people. I think if you have a passion for something, I think you can take bits and pieces from uh, – every one of your mentors, you know, or, or people that you consider uh, important in your life. And so I've, you know, I have a number of individuals that I base my mindset and who I am as a person. And I think having those people that you can kind of relate to and understand, I think those are kind of where the, the conversations and the molding starts, that process starts. But I think like if you have like if you want to be like for me, I don't look at myself as like a soccer coach. You know, I rather look at myself as um, someone who is a a life coach, uh, someone who's willing to um, mentor, uh, help, assist people. So um, the word the word coach means a number of things to different people and to have uh, that name coach in front of my uh, actual name it's it means a little bit more than just you know what most people think of a coach you know of a sport you know so for my for my um, definition how to be a coach it's be able to listen process and communicate if you could have dinner with anyone living or not who would you have dinner with and why wow um that's a great question I would probably say one of my dear to my heart. He never met him. Um, respect his professional acumen and professionalism and his selflessness as a father and husband, especially through the hardships would be Kobe Bryant. Um, He's someone who I revered and respected. And again, like I said, I never met him on a personal level, but he was someone that I could relate to because he was someone who was kind of like the golden child. Um, and, and like I said, I was, an, I was an only child and I felt like the weight of the world, not directly, but indirectly, the weight of the world was kind of on my shoulders and being a, a you know, being a California born, born person, I love the Lakers. And I always respected Kobe because he had all this pressure on himself being drafted, being chosen um, in a top 10 pick, uh, being someone who got traded to an, to an organization that was looked upon as one of the greatest organizations to ever live. And being an African-American, I felt like having two parents that both were seeking higher education and fulfilled that education and being an only child. It just put that immense pressure to be able to deliver. And not that it was, again, like I said, it wasn't direct pressure. It was just knowing the circumstances. And so I think for myself, I always looked at 
a guy like Kobe Bryant as the guy that I always revered and, and respected. We want to thank the audience again for joining in. And if you had a question, please let us know so we can let you jump in. Lewis, if you conducted this interview, what is the one question you would have asked yourself? I want you to ask the question and answer it. Say that again, doctor. If you conducted this interview, what is the one question you would have asked yourself? I want you to ask the question and answer it. You're on mute. No. Um, hmm. Unique question. Can you hear me? Sorry, doctor. Yes, we can hear you now. Okay. Um, <clears throat> the one question that I would ask myself would be, if you were given the opportunity to play a different sport at the latter ages or the younger ages, I should say, of you know, the adolescent, the middle school ages, you know, between five and 12, what sport would you play and why? And my question brings me to this answer. I probably would lean towards, <laughs> sounds crazy, um, but knowing what I know now, it's probably golf. Um, I, like I stated a, a number of times, I'm super calculated and I'm always assessing the risk reward and being a collegiate division one soccer player, uh, former, I should say, sorry, former collegiate soccer player, the wear and tear on your body, um, through a number of games. I mean, at the, at the collegiate level, you're playing probably 25 to 30 games, you know, uh, a year. And that's on the high, you know, like you're probably playing 25 games and that's including going to the national championship. So um, having at the, at the club level playing 40, 50 games a year, um, the wear and tear on your body is just excessive. And I think what it ends up doing is, in my mind, I'm like, and, and that's why I went and did grad school. I'm like, why am I going to put my body through these rigorous conditions uh, banging up against you know, high level athletes and the reward part, as I spoke about, you know, um, is the financial gain. And so being able to play a sport like golf now, obviously, like I stated, Tiger Woods has set the world of golf um, at, at, at a exceedingly high rate and that's something that no one really expected no one really expected that right like but the man was <clears throat> on another level and he made the the world of golf profitable and so i think <clears throat> being my senior year of uh, college I took a one credit class at Michigan State for, uh, it was a golf class actually. And that was the first time in 2009 that I had ever, ever touched a golf club, ever touched a golf club. And knowing this sport in and of itself, I was like, wow, this is a great sport 
for leisure activities, networking, talking with people. And it was something that <clears throat> you can do and people respected you because once you're retired or you're just doing leisurely things, you know, you don't have to worry about going and, you know, putting your body through a, a 60, 70 minute game of, of soccer. You know, it's, you're playing golf, you're swinging the club, you're talking, answering emails. I think that this sport is vastly improving. The money is above a, a lot of people. I mean, the amount of people that are playing the game now after post-pandemic, oh, the rates at golf courses are just skyrocketing. So the, the sport alone is improving, but I think it's like the actual viewership is also improving. And I think that's where um, the wear and tear on the body, the financial gain, and the social aspect, those that three-part component is really why I would have said to myself like, oh, maybe you should have tried a different sport. So I'm going to not push, but definitely guide my children to playing that sport, even if it's leisurely. Um, so that's one thing, like I said, I mean, they can do volleyball, gymnastics, soccer, basketball, it doesn't matter. But that is one thing that we will probably do um, at least a couple times a year. You know, and then once you start to gravitate towards that, then obviously you can you can take it from there, you know, as a parent and, and, and guiding and helping them. But like for me, it's like, it's not, I mean, there's obviously strain with the back and, you know, knee and the torque that it's, that it, that it uh, involves, but like that's, you know, football, basketball, hockey, um, those are sports that are very, very violent. And there's just so many components where there's, you know, the, the substrate, you know, the ground is uneven or the conditions outside are slippery or, you know, whatever, like. The, the fact that golf is just you and the ball, it just makes for, obviously, it's more of a mental game. And I think that it's great for a leisure uh, activity. And you can also have financial gain as well. Lewis, we've come to the part of our interview. It's called Rapid Round of Fun. I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and I want you to give me very quick answers. If there's something you desire not to answer, feel free to say pass. Are you ready for the rapid round of fun? Your favorite color? You're on mute. Can you hear me? Your favorite color? Green. Your favorite holiday? Valentine's Day. Your ideal car? Jeep. Your first job? Working with my stepdad in the maintenance world. The last movie? <clears throat> it was called the... Oh, man, I forgot. It was on Netflix, though. I'll give Netflix a shout out. It was on Netflix. The Knockdown. Black Suit. The Knockdown. Sorry. Say it again. The Knockdown. Sorry. You relax doing what? Golf. Your favorite singer or rapper? <clears throat> Good one. Uh, I'll give Drake the heads up now, but Lil Wayne was my all time. Your favorite dance song? <clears throat> down, Down by Jay Sean. What food you eat every week, no matter what? Almonds. Work out or hit the couch? <laughs> Lately, it feels like the couch, but... 
I like to work out when this weather is nice and we finally got some good weather. So work out. Coach Lewis, thank you so much for joining us on Black Entrepreneur Experience Podcast. Before we let you go, why don't you share with our audience the best way for them to connect with you and to do business with you? And for those that are interested in making a donation or um, finding out more information about Mighty Kicks, West Michigan, and or making a donation to Hearts to Homes, Give all your social media handles and the best way for them to connect and do business with you. So you can connect with us at mightykickswestmi.org or you can connect with us on the h2hfoundation.com. You can do those things through Instagram, as well as Facebook. We're on Facebook at West Michigan, sorry, West Michigan, sorry about that, Mighty Kicks West MI, Mighty Kicks West MI, or you can find us at at the H2H Foundation. I appreciate the time that you've given me, Dr. Richards, and I hope that you all have a wonderful night. Thank you so much for joining us. And again, we wanna thank our listeners for tuning in and um, feel free to reach out to um, Louis Stevens III at Heart to Heart foundation. And also you can reach him at uh, Mighty Kicks West Michigan. That's a wrap.